This morning we have a, a special treat. Uh, my friend Josh Britnell is here, and we have worked together in Chiapas, Mexico, and uh, I've learned to really appreciate both uh, him and his family, but his ministry as well. Um, he's a very gifted man, and I'm so pleased that you're here. Uh, come on up. I'm holding this because I'm going to clip it onto him so that we can get the recording. But uh, Josh, we're happy to have you here at Long Creek Baptist Church. And uh, tell me just a little bit about yourself. Wow. Well, I was born at a very young age. Were you born in a hospital to be near your mother? So I was born in a hospital. Um, my mother <laughs> left soon after that, and uh, I went with her. Oh, I was actually right. born a twin. So I'll tell you a little story about my okay. birth. So um, back in a long time ago when I was born, they didn't do ultrasounds like they do these days. And my mother was rather large in, with, with child. Not large, just large with child. And the doctor kept telling her, he said, well, you have a really big baby in there. You have a really big baby. Well, when, I, when they saw my foot, the doctor said, that's not a big baby. There's more than one in there. And so they rushed her <laughs> off to emergency C-section. Uh, they pulled me out and pulled my brother out. And so, so you're we the were oldest. twins. I am the oldest. And I remind him of that every time I see him. <laughs> and he reminds me that he's taller than I am. <laughs> um, Josh, what, what made you become interested in missionary work? Wow, that's a, that's a long story. So when I was about 16, I went on a missions trip to Guatemala. Really? I did. And then after that, when I was about 17, I went on another missions trip to England and was with some, uh, some evangelists there. And one of the evangelists, Dirk Wood, whom you know, said, I'm, I'm going to start a mission school. And I was at the point where I was uh, about to graduate from high school. And I said, hmm, that sounds interesting. I said, I think I want to do that. And the Lord opened the door uh, for me to do that. And I did that. And that was really where the Lord uh, put in my heart uh, missions. There's actually, I, I traveled with him. I was in England and I, we traveled to the Philippines. We were there for two months and I got to go on a, on a missions trip while I was in the Philippines to one of the islands where someone had come from that island and gone to Manila, received Christ and went back and reached his village on this outlying island. It took us 24 hours to get there. We rode in jeepney, we rode in boat, we rode in another jeepney on this island and then ended up hiking the last oh, I don't know, four hours into this little village called Gindawahan. They said we were the first Westerners ever to go there, me oh and this other guy, Jim. There was a Chinese guy that the elders could remember had come at some point. But other than that, no other foreigners. And it was then that the Lord really birthed in my heart of going to the people who you never heard. You went to a village on a far outreaching island in the Pacific, somewhere that we would have no idea where it was. Where no Westerner no had been before. No one could remember any Westerner having ever been there. And what did you do? Uh, we were celebrating the anniversary of this church. So this, this uh, man from the village, gone and gotten saved, come back and planted a church there. And we were there for the second anniversary of it and a wedding. So we celebrated the anniversary of the church, <laughs> had the wedding, ate a pig. <laughs> well, now you know what a real missionary looks like. <laughs> And uh, we're so pleased to have you here with us. God Thank you. you.
Thank you, Brad. Um, I wasn't planning to tell that story. Um, but anyways, that's really where the Lord put in my heart that there are so many people who've never heard the gospel. There are so many people all over the world that have never had the opportunity to hear the gospel. And here in this country where we have churches on most street corners, it's tough to remember that, that there are so many, there are billions of people that have no, no, it's not that they haven't heard the gospel, it's that they have no way to hear the gospel. So that was all free. That's nothing uh, from my sermon today. I have to apologize to you all. We came on an airplane, and so I usually have a bigger Bible. I'm just preaching from this little thin New Testament, um, but it is the Word. Um, it's really an honor to be here with you all. So Sophia is here to lead the unfinished story. We had the opportunity to lead the unfinished story, but the real reason we are here is to visit Brad and Jan. If, it, if the unfinished story had been somewhere else where I didn't know anybody, I would have thought twice. It's not that I wouldn't have done it, but when I heard that it was going to be in Wilmington, I said, yes, we're going. Um, we were going to bring our children. We have four children, 13, 12, 9, and 5, a, a daughter and three sons. Uh, we were going to bring them, but we ended up coming alone, and that was a good decision. It's, an, it's really an honor to be here. I have known Brad and Jan. I knew, I've known who they were for decades because the mission organization that they were a part of when they were in Germany was based in my town. And so I would hear him share stories when he came back. And so I knew who he was, but I really got to meet him and spend time with him when we were in Chiapas. Uh, he was coaching a team that I was a part of, and we had the, the idea, the crazy idea that Mexicans could be missionaries as well and could go to the nations. And the truth is that they're already doing it, and the Mexican church is already sending them. Um, that team disbanded. It wasn't because of anything Brad did, probably because we didn't listen enough to him. But anyways, the Mexicans are still doing it, and they're still sending missionaries, uh, and they're still impacting the nations. But I really grew to love Brad and Jan. Uh, I remember Jan sharing about how she was a reluctant missionary, the most reluctant missionary, I think is what she said. Um, but God can use even reluctant missionaries in incredible ways. I know that he used them in Germany, but he also used them in my life and so impacted Mexico as well. Uh, as you heard from Diana, my family and I served in Nicaragua two and a half years. We served in Mexico for three years. Um, we were in a little town called Los Cedros outside of uh, Managua, Nicaragua. Um, it was like an oven. Uh, if, you've, if you know the difference between an oven and a convection oven, a convection oven circulates the heat and it cooks faster. Los Cedros was like a convection oven. It circulated the heat and it would, the, that hot wind would blow uh, over, 100, over 100 degrees. It was, it was mid-90s inside our house while we were studying Spanish. Um, we're from Florida and it gets hot in Florida, but we always say, you know, this isn't as hot as Los Cedros. Um, 
so anyways, then we, we moved to Mexico, and, uh, and I got to spend time with Brad. There are a couple of things that I really love about Brad. You all are um, really blessed to have pastors like Brad and Jan, by the way. There are a couple of things I, kn- I really love about Brad, and I'm sure you all know this. One of the things is that he really likes to laugh. I know this is a surprise to you all. You didn't know that. Um, but his, his joyfulness and the fact that he likes to laugh helps with the next thing that I like about him, which is that he doesn't mince words and he doesn't pull punches. I don't know if this is the 30 years in Germany that, that give him the ability to just say things like they are. I remember, um, I remember one time we were trying to get we had been trying to get Brad to come visit us in Mexico, is the truth, and Brad was uh, willing to do it. But the team I was working with, they, we said, well, maybe it's not the right time. Maybe we're not sure what we want to do. So I was the guy to message Brad and say, hey, we're thinking about maybe postponing your trip. And Brad wrote me right back, and he said, hey, look, he said, I'm willing to help you guys. I'm willing to coach you. I'm willing to come down there, but don't waste my time. If you don't want me to, I'll go coach people that would like me to coach them. And I need people in my life like Brad who will tell it like it is, who will keep me from beating around the bush, keep me from him hauling around and tell me, Josh, if you want to do this, do this. And if you don't, Go do something else. Let's not be a, some double-minded man who doesn't know what he wants to do. Hear from the Lord, decide to do it, and let's do it. But it's his smile and the joy in which he says it that help him to be able to say things in this way. So I went back to the team and I said, hey, look, we need this guy. We need him and I need him. And so we, we worked it out. Brad came down and it was a, for us, it was, a, it was a great trip. We needed him, still need him. Um, that's two things I like Brad, about Brad. The third thing is that he is uh, unashamedly led by the Holy Spirit. And that's important. It's important that you be led by a, a pastor who is led by the Holy Spirit. Um, these are three characteristics, by the way, that I want to grow in. And so I hang out with this couple because I want to grow in these characteristics as well. My wife says I don't need to grow in the characteristic of telling it like it is. She says I do fine with that, but maybe I can learn to do it with grace and with joy like Brad does. It's, it's like you've been paddled, you've been disciplined, but you like it and you're better for it. And so I want to learn that uh, way of speaking to people as well. I I hope that somehow I'm learning that. Um, Here's my segue. That's a little bit of what Paul's doing in the book of Ephesians, which is where our text is going to be today. You know, he spends half of the book telling them who they are in Christ, and he spends the next half telling them what that means and what that should look like. So my text today will be in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, I really love this, this book. When I, was a, when I was a small child, my dad had a, a wooden paddle that he used to discipline with, us with. And on it was written, Ephesians 6.1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I hope that I learned that lesson. We're not going to be in Ephesians 6 
1. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read the passage. Um, I'll be in verse 15 through 23 is what we'll read. It says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the boundless greatness of His power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things in subjection under His feet and made Him head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that You've given us Your Word. I thank You that we have it here that we can read. And I thank You that Your Holy Spirit is here with us, guiding us and enlightening us as we read it. I pray, Father, that You would open our hearts to receive Your Word. I pray that You would open our eyes to see what it is that You want us to see, that we would see a picture of Jesus a little clearer, and we would understand what is Your will for us. God, I pray that You would anoint my lips as I speak, that I would speak Your words and only Your words. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now, this is the book of Ephesians. Paul is writing actually from prison. One of the times he was in prison in Rome, he's writing to the church in Ephesus. Um, We know that the church in Ephesus was founded, uh, we can read about its founding back in Acts chapter 19. Paul travels there, it's the start of his third missionary journey, and he found some disciples there, people already there who were disciples. And he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were baptized? We had not even heard there was a Holy Spirit, they said. They received the baptism of John, a baptism of repentance. Paul said John's baptism was one of repentance and telling of one to come. But there is the Holy Spirit as well. He baptized them in the Holy Spirit. Paul was there two years working with these brothers, working with this church. How many of you know after two years, you've developed some deep relationships with people? In verse 10, Acts 19, verse 10, it says... All who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. God did an amazing work through Paul in this area and through the church in Ephesus. It tells also in verse 19 of extraordinary miracles that God did by the hands of Paul. They burned magic books. Many people were coming to him Coming to Jesus, they burned magic books totaling 50,000 pieces of silver. How many of you know when God begins to do extraordinary things, 
the devil doesn't really like it. And so Paul came up against um, some confrontation. You may remember the story in, in Acts. The silver artisans began rioting and they began shouting, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana. Now, I'm married to Diana. I can attest that Diana is great. <laughs> but this is a different Diana they were talking about. This is the temple of Artemis or Diana. Um, it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world there in Ephesus. So this is this, this great temple. And the artisans were, were creating their idols. And so this was affecting their, uh, their line of business. And so they were angry. This is the city. This is the church to which Paul is writing. It was written many years ago. It was written to the church of Ephesus. And it was also written to us. Paul talks about his time in Ephesus a little bit in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. 1st Corinthians chapter 16 verse 8, he says, I'm going to stay on until Ephesus. I'm going to stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost. Because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. This is what we see in Acts as well. Is a great opportunity opened, but at the same time great opposition. There were healings. There were evil spirits being cast out. This was the work that Paul was doing in Ephesus. In 2 Corinthians, Paul seems to allude to a dark time in Ephesus. In chapter 1, verse 8, he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the trouble we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. This is the church that Paul's writing to. He's walked through some great victories. He's walked through some great struggles. He's walked through opposition. You know, when you walk through victories with people, your relationship deepens. But when you walk through struggles, it deepens even more. Paul had a deep relationship with the, with the church in Ephesians. He saw amazing fruit, and yet he had difficult times as well. Let's look a little bit about what he's saying to them in verse 15. He says, For this reason, too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints. These are two things he heard here. Faith in Jesus and love for the saints. Now, I hope that these two phrases don't just describe the Ephesian church. I hope that they describe us as well. I hope that people describe us as having faith in Jesus. And I hope that they describe us as having love for the saints. Is that how people describe you? When they think of you, do they think of you as someone who has a love for the saints? a love for the brothers, a love for God's people? Do they talk, to, talk about you as someone who has faith in Jesus? That is a brother of faith. That is a sister who walks in faith. That's how Paul described this church. And I hope that that's how we can be described as well. Verse 16, he says, I do not cease giving thanks of you, making mention of you, in my prayers. 
we can see here this deep connection that Paul had, this great love for them. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now, James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of the Lord who gives abundantly. Paul here is praying that these people, that this church would have wisdom, that they would be people who walk in wisdom. This is my favorite part, and this is where I want to spend time. Verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of your calling, the riches of glory in his inheritance, and the greatness of power toward those who believe. Paul, first of all, is asking that their eyes, the, the eyes of their heart would be opened. Have you ever had your eyes opened to see things in a new way? You were thinking about things in a certain way. Or you were thinking about a person in a certain way. And then all of a sudden, something clicked. And you said, I have been looking at things wrong. My eyes have been opened. Do any of you wear contacts or glasses? You wear eye correction? I've, I've been wearing glasses, since, uh, glasses or contacts since I was, about, I was about 18, and I realized I couldn't see the blackboard when the professor was writing. And I said, hmm, maybe I need to get my eyes checked out. When I put them on, I see things in a whole new way. Have you ever been to a, a 3D movie where you wear the glasses that are the different colors? And if you take them off, everything's a little bit fuzzy. I took my kids to a 3D movie when we lived in Mexico. Here, it's, it costs $100 to take everybody to the 3D movie, buy popcorn, buy drink. I mean, it's so expensive. We don't go to the movies here. My, my kids would like to, but who has that kind of money? You can watch stuff on TV anyways if you want to watch it. I feel like my kids watch too many screens anyways, but this is an, that's an, a whole other topic. So you go to the 3D movie, and if you don't have the glasses, you know, the, the screen that you're looking at is blurry. You, you can see, you can tell the action that's happening. But when you put on the 3D glasses, it jumps out at you. The... The man hits the ball, the baseball, and the baseball comes flying right at you. Or we saw one, I think it was fish, and the, there was a fish that just jumped right into the, out of the screen at you. This is what Paul is praying. He's praying that your eyes will be opened. He's praying that their eyes will be opened, that they'll see things in a whole new way. That maybe you've been looking and seeing things blurry before. You haven't had quite a clear picture of what I want you to see, of what God wants you to see. But I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened. If Paul was writing this today, he might say, I'm praying that you put your 3D glasses on and you see clearly, you see a deeper perspective of what God is doing. Well, what does Paul want us to see? What does Paul want the Ephesian church to see and the church here to see? First of all, the hope of the calling that we have. 
First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, You are a chosen people. This is our calling. We were chosen, we were called to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we may declare the praises of Him who called us out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Now, those of you who've been walking with the Lord for a long time, it may be tough to remember the darkness out of which you were called. But He did it. He did that work. He freed you from the bondages of sin and called you into a new life, not under the bondages of sin anymore, but into a new hope. No longer walking in darkness, no longer in the bondages of sin, but able to live in His hope. This is the calling that we have. He made us alive. Earlier in this chapter, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, He says, In Him we have redemption through His blood and the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. Can you remember the time before you were called, the time before you were walking in this light, can you remember that moment when the Lord saved you? Can you remember the moment when He delivered you from darkness and brought you into His light? Can you remember the difference? Paul says, I want you to see this in a new way. I want you to see the hope that you have. I want you to see the life that you have in Christ. We've been forgiven of our sins. We've been given a new hope. We've been delivered from the bondages of sin. Later on in the chapter, uh, later on in the book in Ephesians 2.1, he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions. And sin. Maybe you didn't know it, but you were dead in transgressions and sin, in the ways in which you lived. You were gratifying the cravings of your flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Aren't you glad that you've been made alive in Christ? And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. This is the calling. This is the hope that we have. And I pray that you would know it. I pray that you would grasp it. I pray that you would see it with 3D glasses. The greatness of God's love for you and His grace toward you. That He's called you out of darkness He's delivered you from the powers of sin and He's called you into His light. This is the hope that we have. This is the calling that we have. Paul says, first of all, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened to understand the hope of His calling. He's first of all made us alive. What else does He want us to see? He wants us to see the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. 
He wants us to see how great the, of an inheritance we have. We're heirs together with him. We've been called sons and daughters of God. You know, I don't think we truly understand what it means to be heirs of God. I don't think we understand what it means to have an inheritance. We lived in, uh, we lived in Nicaragua for two and a half years. And one of my greatest joys during that time there was to see children who had been pulled off the streets. They'd been living in the dump or in the, in the I was going to say in the calles, in the streets, in the dirt, without parents, to come into a home where they were cleaned and cared for and loved. But even more importantly than that, to be adopted in the two and a half years we were there, we saw 49 children be adopted out of our home. We got to see them meet their parents for the first time. One little girl, it was three children. Um, they were adopted by a, a music minister in a church, actually, he and his wife. And when we told them, we said, hey, you're going to meet your you're going to have a new mom. You're going you're gonna, to uh, meet them today. And the little girl, the middle girl, she said, and she's not going to beat us and throw us on the ground? I said, yes. No, this mom is going to love you. And so to see children who were adopted, two little boys I want to tell you about, um, Jeffrey and Zion, Zion in Spanish. They were four and they were six. Um, Sion was four, Jeffrey was six. Jeffrey was a runner. A couple of times we lived on a, a big property that was fenced in. It had a six foot uh, wide fence. It was about 80 acres, so a big property. And Jeffrey twice took off running. And one time he took off running across the field. We had some uh, trees out toward the end of the field and he took off running toward the street and it was fenced in. And so I, being the, the guy that I am, took off running after him. I finally caught up with him when he was about this high on the fence, and I grabbed the hold of him, and I pulled him down, and I walked him back. I said, hey, you know, you, you have to stay here with us. A little bit later, he, he ran, and he was a little bit smarter this time. So he went and hid by the guardhouse, and when a vehicle came in, the guard had to open the gate to let the, the car out, or let the car in or out, we don't know, and he slipped out, and he got out of the property. And some of the caretakers came to us that morning and said, hey, we don't know where Jeffrey is. Jeffrey's gone. So we went through Los Cedros looking. Where is this boy? Where can he be hiding? Finally found him. Uh, someone found him underneath the bridge over, that went over the river. So this is Jeffrey. Jeffrey was a runner. His brother, Sion, uh, had some other issues. He was really quiet. He would sit still and he was quiet. He, he didn't run. Um, <laughs> Diane's making a face. So, Sion had other issues and one of the Tia's, one of the caretakers, came to me one day and they said, um, Josh, we, um, Sion has a little bit of an issue. He's losing his hair. And so, um, he had a, a bald patch on his head. And we thought, man, maybe this is um, some kind of fungus. 
I'm not sure what's going on here. Well, this this patch grew, and and it was, I mean, a big part of his head that was missing his hair. And um, finally, one of the caretakers saw him, and she came back to me, and she said, he's pulling his hair out, and he's eating it. And so I don't know what kind of trauma a four-year-old boy had gone through that he would pull his hair out and eat it, but these boys had been through some trauma. Well, one day we had news that Jeffrey and Sion were going to be adopted. They were going to get a new family, a new mother and a new father. A couple from Holland came to, uh, with the government workers, and they met with us. And so we sat with them um, to explain to them a little bit about the boys. We sat on a couch, and, and they were on a couch facing us. And, and the, uh, the other home where the boys were was, was behind them. And so I was sitting with Yvonne, who was our social worker and part of the ministry there. And so we were talking to them, explaining to them a little bit. And so Yvonne says, okay, well, I'm going to go get the boys. Um, and so she walked out to get the boys, and the father kept looking behind him to see them. He kept looking behind them. And when they started walking up, when he could see them, he said, can I go to them? And we said, sure. And so he and his wife jumped up. They ran out the door and they ran to the boys and they embraced them. And they hugged them and they kissed them. And in that moment, I remembered the prodigal son who, while he was a long way off, his father saw him a long way off and he ran to him and he embraced him and he gave him his robe and he gave him his ring. Um, And so this picture of of adoption that we see in the prodigal son and we see with Jeffrey and Sion is this picture that Paul wants us to see of how Jesus feels, how our Father feels when we come to him. We are heirs. We've been adopted. We've been brought into his family. We've been given a new name. We've been given a new future because we are sons and daughters, not from the streets anymore, but we've been given a family. We've been given a name. Um, I don't know where they are now. We were able to keep track of some of the children if the parents wanted to keep track. Jeffrey and Zion, I don't know where they are. Probably in, still in Holland, I'm guessing. But I know that these parents had a deep love for them. And I know that there's so, so much restoration there. And we trust that the Lord has done the work. We've heard of other ones Diana can tell more stories, but the Lord, God is good. God is good. Adoption is such a picture of what Christ did for us. A new inheritance, a new name, which is what we have as well. We have a new inheritance. We've been bought with a price. We've been set free from our past, no longer held by the bondages of sin. This is the inheritance that we have as children of God. First Peter, I was actually reading, um, I read First Peter today. I've been reading through, almost finished with the Bible again. Um, but I'm in First Peter today, and I read this verse today. Uh, verse 3, it says, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter as well as Paul wants us to get this picture. He wants us to see with 3D glasses 
the hope that we have, this inheritance that we have now as children of God. And so Paul prays that the Ephesians would know their inheritance. And I pray that you as well would know your inheritance. You are a part of the family of God. You are sons and daughters of God. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened to understand the inheritance of the saints. He made us alive. He adopted us. And also he wants us to know the boundless greatness of his power toward us who believe. You know, Ephesus was a center of religious power. It was a place where the temple of Diana was. They understood power. My prayer for you is that you understand that the power of Jesus is more powerful than any other power. When we first got to Nicaragua, when we first arrived, uh, we lived in a building. The, ho the home on the property wasn't quite finished yet. And so the second evening we were there, we were standing outside with some of the children and our own children uh, swinging. And it was getting dark. The sun had set and it was starting to get dark. And all of a sudden, the guard, we had a guard, a night watchman, he walked along the edge of the property, uh, sorry, the edge of the playground. And he said, Joshua, Joshua, help me. And he collapsed on the ground. Diane and I ran over there, and he had been shot. He was bleeding from his leg and from his shoulder. Um, this was the second night we were there. We, we called some of the, our neighbors who worked with the, pro, with the ministry as well. They came with a truck and some little twenty two rifles. Um, we, we tossed the guard into the back of the truck. Um, Diana and the kids ran and hid and locked themselves in one of the buildings with another gentleman that was there. I hopped in the back of the truck with two of the, the ministry workers, and we drove off um, into, Nicaragua, into Managua in the night to try to find a hospital to take him. Um, a couple of the men there went looking to try to figure out what happened here, who had shot this man, um, this guard. Um, I got back home the next day. He, the guard was, they were, they were, it was in his shoulder and his leg. He wasn't, wasn't too serious, as serious as getting shot can be. Um, but he wasn't going to die. And so the next day we had the question of what we were going to do. We knew that the Lord had called us there. We knew that he'd called us to uh, live there on that ministry. He'd called us to be a part of that ministry but um, we had a decision to make of what that looked like. And we had to decide, are we going to think about uh, staying here in an area where maybe it's not quite secure? Or are we going to move into town, into a, a gated community that would be more secure, that would be safer? And... That was a, a chance for us to say, Lord, what, what is it that you're doing here? What is it you're calling us to? How great is your power? Are you going to protect us or no? And we, we prayed about it, as you might guess. 
Um, and we felt, uh, it was after lunch we made the decision. We said, we came here, we decided to come here, we're not gonna be run off. We are gonna trust in the Lord to protect us. We're gonna trust in His power to protect us. And we had been in contact with our organization and I went back into one of the buildings um, to communicate with them and let them know, hey, we're, we've decided we're gonna stay here in Los Cedros. And when my phone connected to the Wi-Fi there and I got an email from a friend of mine who had been praying for us and his email confirmed what we had just decided. And we said, okay, Lord, you have confirmed this in our hearts. We're doing this. Um, and so that night we had been reading a, a book to the, to the kids, a Bible, the Jesus Storybook Bible, which I highly recommend. Um, if any of you have for your grandkids, they like you to read stories. This is a, such a good one. Um, but the next story in the Jesus Storybook Bible was the story of Daniel. And the title of it was uh, Daniel and the Scary Sleepover. And for us, that was just confirmation that in the same way that Daniel had been protected from the lions because the Lord had called him, because he had been obedient to what the Lord had called him to do, we trusted and we knew this was confirmation for, him, for us that God was going to protect us as well. And, you know, we never had any problem with any shootings. We never had any more problems like that. That was the devil trying to scare us away. But the Lord stood with us. We actually found out a couple of months later that this guard that had been shot who had been involved in some kind of a gang, and it seemed like it was a, some kind of a drug deal that went wrong there, and that's why he got shot. Yeah, so anyways, he, was, he ended up, someone saw him on, a, on the news on a police lineup. They said, hey, that was the guard that we had that got shot. So the Lord protected us. The, and Paul says, I want you to know the greatness of God's power. I want you to see with 3D glasses the power of God. You know, we were praying just a couple of months ago for one of my nephews. His, um, I don't know what these are, lymph nodes in the back of your head, right? So these lymph nodes became inflamed and they started growing. They were, you could see them on the back of his head. He's 15. Um, and they were, he was afraid, they were afraid that it was lymphoma. Um, he had got an opinion from a doctor and the doctor said, well, we ought to cut these things out. And he said, no, we're going to get a second opinion. Um, and we just kept praying. And they got a second opinion. And the doctor said, well, I think we should cut these things out. And they said, I think we want to get a third opinion. Got a third opinion um, and it was some kind of parasite. So took parasite medicine and took care of it. Um, but the power of God, I want you to know the power of God. That's God answering prayer right there for my nephew. We've seen the hand of the Lord this year. We've seen Him open doors. We've seen Him shut doors. We've seen Him lead us. We've seen Him guide us. We've seen Him provide for us in supernatural ways that we had no idea. Paul says, I want you to know, I want you to see the power of God toward those who believe. How many of you have believed? God's power toward you is so great. Ephesians 3.20 says, 
to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened to understand that greatness of his power. The power is there and it is available to us. It was available to Paul. It was available to the Ephesians and it is available to us. Whatever you need today, the power of God is available. Christ is far above all rule and all authority. If you're concerned about the direction of our country, I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is not concerned. If you're concerned about what's happening in the Middle East or in China, I'm going to tell you who's in control and who's running it. Jesus is in control because his authority is far above any authority. His authority is the authority that we live under. And his power is so great toward those of us who believe. I want you to know, I want you to see the greatness of God's power. I pray that your eyes may be opened that you may see it. You may see that we are alive in Christ. We've been made alive in Christ. We've been set free from sin. We've been adopted. We've been called heirs. We've been given an inheritance. We've been given a new name. We've been called into the family of Christ. And also he's given us his power. His power is so great toward those of us who believe. Whatever you need, Christ is there. His power is available to do it. Let's stand. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church and wrote to us. God, I pray too that our eyes, that my eyes would be opened, that I would see a clearer picture of who you are. I would see a clearer picture of what you've done and I would see a clearer picture of what that means. I would see a clearer picture of the implications for my life because of what you've done. I thank you for your word. God, I pray that it would, it would go down deep into our hearts, that it would find good soil, and that it would bear fruit. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Right, thank you.